are tuned in to CFCR 90.5 FM, it's time for the nerdy news. It's Punch Radio, and in studio you have Jody and Dave. Hello. And we will hear from Hank and Craig and Brennan a little later. The fellas have lots on the plate. Brennan's talking about Vampirella. Okay. And Hank and Craig are talking about the Mission Impossible movie, which they really liked. I thought they would. It's action-packed. Yeah. And, you know, Tom Cruise, if he can show up to work in his own clothes, he generally is fine. I mean, he's, yeah, that's a whole other show. That's a whole nother show. They are also going to talk about the writer's strike a little bit, too. So, bit of a downer on that, but what what are you going to do? Maybe it'll turn out great in the end. You know, maybe it'll usher in a new golden age. I hope it does. Yeah. I hope it does. Okay, well, we're going to talk about, as promised, last week we said we would get into... Night Terrors. So this is the new miniseries thing from DC before their relaunch of Dawn of DC. And so we'll talk about that. We'll start with the basic premise of it. Talk about that first. And then uh, we'll throw it over to the fellas so you don't have to have a whole chunk of this. And then we'll get into some of the, the individual stories as we go. So Okay, good plan. Okay, so here is the layout. As I said last week, Last time that DC relaunched, they did Convergence just to kind of fill in the gap between the old and the new. And this is basically the same thing. So this is Night Terrors. It is written by Joshua Williamson. The basic story is four parts. And then there's extra little things that are thrown on. And then there are a whole bunch of one and two issue little miniseries of each character. Here's the layout. So it's interesting because we've been watching the Justice League cartoon on Netflix, which is fantastic. By the way, if you have not delved into that, that's what you really should be spending your time on. Yeah, that's hours and hours and hours of good DC content. Yeah, excellent stuff. And uh, a few weeks ago, we watched an episode where there was this character. His name's John D. He was a prisoner and he was taking part in these experiments where they were dealing with like going into dreams and the power of dreams and of course he got super blasted and it gave him superpowers in the dream realm. So now what's happened is John D is now Dr. Destiny and this new character Insomnia has used him and he wants to get this thing called the Nightmare Stone and John D has hidden it somewhere in the dreams of one of the Justice League characters. Yeah, possibly a superhero, possibly a villain, right? It could be in the dream of a villain, because some of these comics are villain-based, too. It's more likely that it is going to be in a superhero. Well, you're usually better at predicting this stuff than I am, so... That's true. So, we get to see how he goes into each dream. So... The Catwoman issues are going to be like Selena Kyle's worst nightmare. So what does that look like? And then, uh, you know, Insomnia will make an appearance and go, I want the Nightmare Stone. Where is the Nightmare Stone? Give me the Nightmare Stone. And she may or may not be able to do that because it might not be hidden in her dream. Okay, so you can just read the four-part Night Terrors series and not really bother with all the other characters. You get a richer experience if you read them all, uh, and it's kind of entertaining. 
You can also skip that and just read, like, you know, I like Poison Ivy, so I just want to read Poison Ivy's dream, and I don't really care what the overall arc is. There also isn't any, like, prescribed order, because these are all number ones, right? It's like Catwoman Night Terror is number one, Poison Ivy Night Terror is number one, Batman Night Terror is number one. So... Well, yes and there, no. There may be a prescribed order that they say you're supposed to read them in, but really, I mean, we just kind of read them in random order, and, and it worked to, to go into this, like, dream realm of these characters one comic book at a time. Well, and that is because we're reading them as they're coming out. If you bought them all and then just binged it, it might not work as well. I think it would. Well... There are some things that happen in the Batman dream, in the Wonder Woman dream, and in the Superman dream that do have some exposition on the main arc. So if, if you read the Zatanna and the Poison Ivy and the Ravager, and then you skip those other ones, then you might be missing out and then read them later. It, it, you would still get the story overall. I, I'm just going to say that this makes them rereadable. Okay. That's very that kind. you can read them in any order you want, but it makes them rereadable. That is kinder. Even than though I we didn't think they were all great, but we can we can talk more about that later. Yeah, some of them are definitely better than others, uh, but you know, as far as like a fill-in little event, it's not that bad. Agreed. Yeah, these fill-in little events sometimes you know hit big and miss big, mm -hmm. and that's kind of what's going on with some of these comics we've been reading. Absolutely. Okay, let's take a break. Throw it over to the fellas, see what they have to say about their pop culture experiences this week, and then let's get into some of the individual issues that have come out so far. Sure. Okay, so take it away, fellas. Hey, everybody, it's Craig Silliphant on Punch Radio right here on CFCR 90.5 FM, and I'm joined, as always, by my good friend, Hank Cruz, and uh, we got a few things to talk about today. We're going to talk about the... Uh, writers and actors strike a little bit but first couple of things that hank and i have been watching and i know we both saw mission impossible colon dead reckoning comma part one uh in the last week or so so what did you think parentheses of it? hashtag tom cruise running parentheses <laughs> exclamation mark yeah tom cruise running a lot of tom cruise running you know that guy like he doesn't age which uh, I understand because when you're running like, I don't know, 20,000 steps in a day, every day of your life, like that, that'll keep you fit. He's a fit guy. Yeah. yeah. Well, I actually like heard some podcasts talking about this. Like you can stave off aging by exercise and diet and things like that. But most people don't have the time to do that in their lives. Whereas like somebody who's literally focused on you know, yep, having that's a, your job. You yeah, that's that. like his job to stay in shape and to stay young. So like he's got all the time in the world to dedicate to it when he's not shooting something, I guess. But Which I anyway. think is kind of weird because I assume when I leave the house that like people are going to mistake me for Tom Cruise. I know I'm a little taller, but people might go, oh, Tom. But like, no, I've never got that. It's well, weird. I assume with your last name, Hank Cruise, he's yeah. your cousin or something. But yeah, and I never get free tickets to anything. So no. I don't know. Screw that guy. Forget it. Mission Impossible. I hate it now. Tom Cruise. Mission Impossible. I had a great time. I had a great time. It didn't seem like it was three hours long. I agree. Uh, Non-stop action. I love how uh, many of the scenes are actual stunt people in actual cars with the green screen and the CGI and all that stuff, like all these practical effects. Um, I would go uh, watch it again. And in fact, I have to because I promised my kids we were going together and then they took off to the lake and they left me. And I said, you know who hasn't left me? Thomas Cruise. And so I went to Mission Impossible without him. 
So forget it. What did you think? Yeah, yeah. I took my son. Uh, we were in Edmonton uh, last week and we we went and saw it. Uh, he loved it. I loved it. I thought it was, I mean, I think here's the thing. As a film, they're not very strong in the sense of like, there's not character development. There's not a lot of real deep themes and stuff like that. But, uh, you know, w- there's very few movies where I can let that go. I think with these movies, I can, because as you said, the level of the action and the stunt work and the practical effects and everything is just so high that it's just, it is filmmaking on a really amazing level. Uh, and whether it's the, uh, you know, you mentioned the car chase, which there's obviously stunt drivers for, but there's also Tom Cruise handcuffed to Haley Atwell, like driving that car for real on these like crazy Venice cobblestone streets that are like really dangerous to drive on like that. And then of course, a lot has been made of the, uh, uh, the base jumping motorcycle stunt, which is not a spoiler. It's in the trailer. Uh, and there's actually a great video. You've probably seen it, but, uh, some of the listeners may not have go to YouTube and find this video. It's 10 minutes long. It just shows how they did that stunt and how like Tom Cruise and the crew break the stunt down into pieces. He becomes an expert at each piece. Then they put it all back together and doing a crazy stunt like that becomes muscle memory. And he's got a great line. It's don't be careful, be competent, which is like, just be an expert at that stunt and every piece of it. So, uh, so pretty fun. I agree with you. I don't think it felt like it was three, almost three hours at all. Uh, John Wick four, which we saw together, John Wick four is four minutes longer. And as much as I did enjoy that movie, uh, and I would say the fight choreography and mission impossible is nowhere near as like in depth or intense as in John Wick. But John Wick was a movie where I was looking at my watch, like every 20 minutes for three hours, uh, as much as I did enjoy it. I'll also say, uh, no spoilers here, but like obviously part one indicates that it's a, a cliffhanger, part one of two. Uh, if I can compare it to another movie across the Spider-Verse, that movie, which I did like, but it felt like you literally saw half the movie. They ended it just arbitrarily halfway through. None of the themes or anything were sorted out. The story's hanging in the middle. And so you got to wait supposedly a year, but probably more than that based on what some of the animators are saying. Uh, and my son again was like, well, it didn't have an ending. What, like what was with that mission impossible has a great story arc. It has an ending that ending leads into more stuff for part two, but that's mm-hmm. the way to do it. Like tell a whole full story end that story. And you can have those threads that are going to lead into part two. I don't want to say too much about it to give anything away, but, uh, so I thought that part was really well done. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's about what I have to say about it. So overall, we're saying people should see it because it's cool. It is a cool looking movie. Yeah, yeah. and great on the big screen. Like, go see it on the big screen. Uh, I mean, that's what Christopher McQuarrie and Tom Cruise, uh, that's what they want you to do, man. Yep, because uh, I don't know if you got the thing or not, but uh, I went on like the premiere night or whatever. And so Tom and the director guy there were talking about just you know they looked into my eyes and were thanking me for going to the theater and i was like you know what you could thank everyone else too but it was nice to be singled out so i thought that was nice yeah so yeah that's it mission impossible dead reckoning part one you know unless you hate these movies i would say go check it out it's a lot of fun. but now with this uh writer strike actor strike all of this action like have they finished filming the second part like when are we going to get that or is that strike screwing us so we don't see it till 2026 or something that's a good question my guess would be that they filmed them like at the same time or concurrently but i to tell you the truth i'm not sure and i know that dead reckoning was delayed quite a bit because of covid so like it's possible that they've shot both parts of that uh but yes you raise a good point we talked a while ago about the writers going on strike and now the actors have joined them in uh, not only a solidarity strike, but their, their deadline uh, with the motion picture 
association cut off. And so now they have joined the picket line as well with their own wants. And some of it is, is it's just creating a lot of drama. It's going to definitely disrupt everything we're seeing for probably like, I mean, depends how this drags out, but uh, I don't think anybody's in a hurry right now, or at least on the, on the studio side to solve it. I think they think, uh, as you saw in the Ron Perlman video, probably they think that they can just squeeze them out by waiting until they have to sell their houses and stuff. So some of the issues there are the same. It's the, you know, the idea that streaming, the model's completely different than it was 20 years ago when you had film and network TV. And so now instead of 24 episodes of network TV uh, with residuals and syndication and all that stuff, you've got a streaming network that doesn't report much data. Uh, so you don't even know if your show's popular or not really. And they, uh, you know, they don't get paid residuals. And now you get paid for six episodes instead of 24. Uh, so it's just like untenable for most of the creative community, both the writers and the actors. Uh, and then, of course, AI becomes a part of it for the writers. It's more along the lines of like, oh, they'll just uh, start using more AI and start paying, paying writers less or stop paying writers. Mm -hmm. For the actors, it's quite insane, actually, like what these studios are trying to push at this point. It's basically like they want the actors to go in for a day or half a day, have themselves scanned. You get paid for a day or so. And now the movie studio owns that in perpetuity. You get paid nothing if they use it again. They can do whatever they want with it, which is very close to the Black Mirror episode uh, with Salma Hayek that we were talking about like a couple of weeks ago there. So that's obviously a major like. That's just insane that that would even be a proposal. Like that's your likeness. That's your brand. Yeah, that's and then they go and put you in every movie and all of a sudden your movie's a huge worldwide hit and they never call you back. And you're like, well, now you've been in eight movies, but you've never actually acted in a single one. Yeah, it's, 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 it's pretty right. nutty. So, and if you don't have the leverage that a Tom Cruise or somebody has, like what they want to say is, well, you can negotiate that at the time. But if you don't have Tom Cruise leverage, there won't be a negotiation. They'll just be like, well, if he doesn't want to do this, we'll move on to the next young else. upcoming yeah. actor or actress that wants to do it. So we'll see where all of this goes. It's very, right now it's pretty heated and the studios are not really willing to play ball. And, and I, I didn't they, realize how many actors don't make a living wage. Yeah. And then you always think, oh, you're an actor. Wow. So you're making, it's like, no, I don't have enough money to feed my family. Yeah. They so need I a few gigs a year to be able to like have a yeah. just normal standard of living basically. And Ridiculous. you know what, even for the rich ones, people go, oh, it's these rich actors complaining. It's like lots of those actors were up and coming actors at one point. And mm -hmm. two, there's a distinction like, you know, Mark Ruffalo, I saw on Twitter today and people were kind of berating him. Yeah, that guy's a multimillionaire. He's been in Marvel movies and stuff like that. He also does still do independent productions, but he does work that he has grown a brand and, a, and his craft and he gets paid for. These studio heads, like a writers get paid like uh, an average of like $69,000 a year or something. A studio head gets like $75,000 or $75,000 a day. Because so they went, like, well, they put those uh, highest paid doing nothing. executives like, in the last five years. They posted their income. And the Warner Brothers guy was the highest at almost $500 million. Yeah, exactly. So they create nothing. Now, I'm getting ranty and we're out of time here. But, uh, you know, maybe we'll talk about this as it as it comes and goes. That's really the groundwork for it. Maybe by the time we talk about it again, it's been solved and everybody's happy again because the studios want to keep making movies. I don't know. Yeah. I, don't I know. hope so. But that doesn't seem to be the case. I don't think they'll even come back to the table until maybe September or something. So we'll see what happens. But we got to throw back to Jody here. So Hank and Craig out. Hello. Hello, Punch listeners. And this is Brennan here one more time with suggestions 
to help change your life. And actually, I'm going to change that. Not change your life, but perhaps help change your mind. There are certain characters that we love, some we don't, some that might have been stereotyped in our minds, and some that we talk about too much. And once again, I am going to talk about a character that I probably talk about too much. It's been at least two or three episodes, and I have to talk about Vampirilla. That's right, Vampirilla versus the Superpowers. Once again, written by Dan Abnett, and this time written by, sorry, drawn by Pasquale Qualano. I'm sorry, I probably said that wrong. This is Dan Abnett in his sweet spot. Dan Abnett has been doing the Vampirilla and the Superpowers, Vampirilla versus Red Sonia. He was writing for Elvira for a while, and he does a really good job of taking stock characters and putting them in like a multiverse or different version of how you are used to seeing them and making them really effective. And we're getting this once more. So the Vampirilla versus Superpowers, I have loved all the comics so far that has Vampirilla with this universe. The original one had Vampirilla joining the Superpowers team and just how that didn't go well because she's a vampire and isn't a superhero. Uh, then again, they had Vampirilla versus Red Sonia, where Vampirilla is taken prisoner. Um, Red Sonia becomes part of the Superpowers team and they battle each other, of course, over multiverses and cross-dimensional, all that kind of fun stuff. Now, this one, Vampirilla versus the Superpowers, takes place in 1948 on Projection 1948. So that's kind of how they label, instead of Earth, like 616, like Marvel or DC, right? Uh, Earth 1, Earth 2, they have projections. So this is Projection 1948. And this starts off in Los Angeles in the late 40s. So right away, we have this idea of it being a pulp noir detective kind of story, and it totally is. From the offset, page one, we have a couple beautiful shots of the Los Angeles skyline. And of course, there's two detectives and they go into a diner, much like Pulp Fiction, and there has been a mass murder crime scene. So uh, they need to find out who may have done it. As we go forward, we discover Vampirilla in 1948, in this version of it, is the proprietor of a restaurant. And she's very much like the femme fatale. She's like the Jessica Rabbit. She owns this... Um, lounge and she's the entertainment she's the singer and of course she becomes one of the main suspects right away these two detectives are trying to solve the case hijinks ensue more superpower creatures show up there's fights there's battles what i like with this one is that as you go through the comic we actually see quote unquote like typewritten files from the actual superpowers so it looks like what you'd expect from a like 1950s FBI kind of thing. So if they did a documentary about it, these are the actual files from the actual detectives. The Vampirilla outfit, I super like. It looks a lot like a Jess Grabbit kind of thing, okay? Um, high cut, sort of long flowing dress with the big white collar, for lack of a better term. Um, it's fun, it's witty. Dan Abnett does a really good job of making these stories humorous while at the same time like driving a good plot along. Um, we travel through California, we meet lots of characters, and it's a really good time. So right now, I have issue one and two. At this at time of recording, I'm not sure if three came out this week or if it's the following month, just because I lose track. But I know I talk about Vampirilla a lot, and 
One thing I like with her as a character, I like it when they put her in a non-horror scene, okay? I've always liked alternate versions of things. I like seeing characters being out of place. And I feel when Vampirilla is not in a time period you expect or in a, a world you don't expect, um, it works really, really well. Like Elseworlds, for example. I love the Elseworlds series. And this is like a vamp Vampirilla in the 1950s, L.A. detective... Ellie confidential, hard-boiled detective story with Vampirilla at the middle of it. Uh, it's really, really fun. Dad Abnett does a great job of writing it. It's a light read, but it's really worth your time. The art is amazing. Um, yeah, Vampirilla. There's so many Vampirilla out right now, and a lot of it I don't like, but every time, every time Dan Abnett does this with the powers, I love it. So I guess I'm the mark. But I would suggest it. So if you don't like Vampirella and you're more like a superhero person like me or likes Elseworlds in the multiverse, I would definitely check it out. There we go. Uh, next week, I'm sure I'll talk about the Vampirella YouTube movie that you can find that is horrible and brilliant all at the same time with Roger Daltrey as the big bad. Ah, so good. Anyway, on that line, on that point, pointer line, whichever you prefer, depends if you're like linear or more factual and pointual. This is a Jody. Can I just, I was trying to be funny. I'm not sure that worked. You can cut that out if you want. This is Brennan saying, I'll talk to you soon, Saskatoon. Okay. Thank you. Now, I really liked the Joker, the Night Terrors, yeah, the that Joker. Was, that was the best one. Yeah. So essentially what happens is the Joker gets a job at Wayne Industries and he doesn't know what he's doing, but he just keeps moving up the ladder. Yeah. So I think the idea is that this would be the Joker's worst nightmare, right? To like be a desk jockey at Wayne Industries. But it kind of reminds us of what they did with the Joker character in the Harley Quinn cartoon, where they put him in a very sort of workaday white bread existence as the stepdad to these two young kids and it, it almost gives the joker kind of like a lynchian quality <laughs> where like everything is ultra normal and clean on top but his desire for evil and you know his his sinister nature is always lurking there right beneath the surface it leads to some really cool art it's the funniest of these night terror comics for sure and I can't believe I'm going to say these words, but it does sort of beg the question, like, why so serious when we're reading <laughs> all these com uh, all these great comics with, like, potential for humor and crazy situations? And that was what, you know, seeing the Joker work at Wayne Industries did the best. Yeah, it, it did. Um, this one is I, my favorite, and it's written by Matthew Rosenberg, who is Canadian, so yay, we love that. And the art is by Stefano Raphael, and yeah, it is by far the best. Uh, he's binge-watching, like, Modern Housewives or whatever, so yeah, pretty awesome. Really dug that one. The, the Poison Ivy one was actually pretty good. Yeah, that was another good one. I think, I think we leaned more toward the villain Night Terrors yeah. issues than the, some of the ones we'll talk about later. I think because, like, well, Poison Ivy, it reminded me actually a lot of the Harley Quinn cartoon, the animated series that has been going on, because it's like her and Harley, and they have this, like, perfect little suburban life. Yeah. And, like, that is horrible for both of them. But yet, it is very entertaining to read about. That one was pretty decent. Ravager. Okay, so this is sort of like, like that Deathstroke spinoff thing. I'm not a big Ravager 
fan, so it was kind of like, all right, whatever. But it does seem like Ravager is going to have an important role in, uh, like, saving the world. Because for whatever reason, she is able to have a foot in each world. Like, in the dream world and in the real world, where a lot of the other characters are, like, they've been put to sleep and they are trapped in their nightmare world. This one does feel like kind of a hinge pin conflict-wise and plot-wise but it wasn't my most fun one to read. But that might just because I went into the other ones knowing who Harley Quinn, Poison Ivy, Joker, Batman are, but I didn't really know that much about the Ravager, so maybe that's why I didn't like it as much. Zatanna, that one is another one that it was good. Uh, a number of reasons. One, the uh, 1 in 25 mm -hmm. cover done by Riley Rossmo local boy oh, we love nice. him good and him. yeah and it's a it's a great cover and because she is magic she has a bit more on the ball when it comes to these like different worlds uh constantine has an appearance i think it's in hers and uh so she is able to or she was able to save wonder woman and detective chimp they've been put to sleep and she was able to like enter this safe portal place and put them in there so that they can no longer be at the, the whim of insomnia. So that's good. So now she just has to like go out and kind of help save everybody else too. Okay. So it's it's interesting. There's a lot going on here. More to come. We've got, like some are only going to be a number one. Some get two parts. Like Trinity, like the Wonder Woman and Batman and uh, Superman, they're going to get more than one issue. Yeah, I didn't, I, I'm not going to read all of them though. Like I, I looked at the Robin and I, I flipped through it and I didn't get it. And I also had a flip through the Nightwing one and I didn't buy that one either. Cause I was just kind of like, meh, whatever. Okay. So they're branching this out into a lot oh, of different directions. Big time. Um, they're also doing like Black Adam, who I don't care about and Angel Breaker, who I don't even know who that is. And I guess I should, but I don't. We will see Titans will get one. Shazam is going to get one, and uh, yeah, The Flash, oh, The Flash had one, and I don't even remember what it was. I read it, and I don't remember, so didn't, it couldn't have been that good. Didn't leave an impression. Didn't leave an impression, yeah. And Catwoman had one, and it was actually okay, but the cover was really good, because that was a Tula Lote cover. Yeah, that is a cool cover. We Should we talk about the Batman one? Sure. Yeah, we got a little bit of quick quick time I, I thought there was some cool kind of dark artwork in this one but uh i didn't love going back to batman splash bruce wayne's nightmare world because it involves that story after the zorro movie with the pearls and the gun yeah. and the oh no and i yeah that's just like that's a lane we've gone with we've gone down that mine shaft many times we're going and, again and we're going down again in night terrors we are so hopefully they will come up with a new twist on it. It would be nice if they do. All right. Well, that pretty much wraps up our take on Night Terrors and it wraps up our other, our show. So we will continue to report as new issues because there will be issues coming out throughout the rest of July and August. And maybe it will get better. But we'll always have comics and nerdy stuff to talk about. Yeah. So... In the meantime, you know what to do, folks. Keep your dukes up, and you can tune in here to CFCR every Friday at 6. We'll see you soon, Saskatoon. Bye.